Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. A special thank you to our sponsor, Equithrive. This one goes out to all the horses with the crusty necks, fleshy backs, and girthy middles. The horses who gain a few extra pounds simply by breathing air. The easy keepers on limited pastures. The folks at Equithrive know there is nothing easy about easy keepers. That's why they have formulated products just for you. Equithrive's Metabarol is a pelleted supplement that is scientifically proven to support healthy metabolic function and a healthy inflammatory response in horses. It's bona fide joint and metabolic support, all in one easy to feed pellet. Visit equithrive.com today and use the promo code HUMBLEHOOF to get 20% off your first order plus free shipping. www.equithrive.com. Those of you who have listened to the podcast for a while have probably heard the episodes with Daisy Bicking, an incredible hoof care provider based out of Pennsylvania. Daisy is known for her online courses and her in-person classes, as well as her rehab facility in Pennsylvania where she takes in lameness cases and specializes in laminitic rehab. I reached out to Daisy to see if she would chat with me as we both have track systems now. And she had this great case study that shows just how amazing it is to watch these horses change when their environment supports social and mental and physical health. Why don't we get started and talk a little bit about your rehab at home and what kind of horses you take in and, and just like an overview. I mean, obviously people know you from the podcast before, but um, I don't think we talked a lot about your horses at home. So why don't you say a little bit about how that started and, and what kind of horses you take in? So we started rehabbing horses way back when I started as a hoof care provider here at the farm. You know, it was kind of my own horses, small, quiet family facility. And I had another hoof care provider who reached out to me and said, Hey, I, I know you're, you're doing a lot with laminitic animals and I have a pony that really needs help and they can't keep it at the place it's at. Would you take it at your place? And that was the first kind of idea that I had about bringing horses here to our farm for more intensive hoof help. And we had everything set up for our own personal horses with the dry lot and the diet management and all of those things. So to bring another animal in was not a big deal, really. Yeah. Although we did start expanding on our program and the facility based on other horses coming in that had different needs maybe than my own specific horses, right? So it kind of grew organically. Yeah. And the benefit of it was really the ability to be intensive with the management and the hands-on component of helping these horses recover and start healing as fast as possible. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's hugely rewarding to have the horses here. Now, you know, now we, we've had horses come from all over the country and with all different kinds of problems and have been privileged to just sort of give them the benefit of that intensive care, so to speak, and then send them home with being in a much better place and a better plan for their continued care, whether we're directly involved in that, you know, or not. 
Yeah. And, and so what kind of management things do you change or like are inherently already in place at your farm that might be different than what these horses are coming from? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it's evolved, right? Yeah. You know, when we started out, nobody had a dry lot. Like nobody had a dry lot that didn't have scrub grass in it or wasn't a mud pit or, you know, was available at the boarding barn, whatever the challenge might have been. So the first benefit we offered to these to these horses coming in were just a change of immediate environment, getting them off grass, getting them out of mud, putting them onto a dry lot scenario where, you know, we could then micromanage diet change, keeping their feet nice and clean and dry, hands on every day. And yet from there, it's evolved into almost like a system of graduation from smaller paddock to larger paddock to now with our track system, having group turnout on a dynamic track. And so, you know, do you know these horses before they come? Or are they just people that reach out? Yeah, normally it's people that reach out that hear about our our facility and, and what we do here through word of mouth or social media or something like that. And usually I don't know the horses in advance, although sometimes if I have a client whose horse is struggling or say they're going on vacation and they don't have, you know, someone to watch the horses at home that's qualified, then the horses might come here for some uh, that I already know for some for some help short or long term. But usually it's new people reaching out that have horses with extenuating circumstances and they need they need a lot of help. Yeah. And you had mentioned that obviously you have horses that come with all different kinds of issues. Do you have ones that are more common? Like I know you mentioned the laminitic issues that you were dealing with at first. Yeah, so most of them that come here have some version of chronic subacute laminitis. That's kind of that's kind of our passion and area of, of special interest. And we're well set up to help those horses. We do also get horses with other types of issues like body issues, hind end issues, certainly our, you know, navicular type long toe low heel horses. We do get a bunch of those as well. Although now I'm excited to be able to refer a lot of those horses to you, Alicia. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Oh gosh. Yeah. You know, because, you know, we all have, we all have kind of our niche and what we're set up for. And while I love helping all the horses, certainly my area of special hurts work is the laminitics, of course. Yeah. And, and we were just talking obviously before I started recording about a case that, that was laminitic that you kind of, you know, took in and, and was a really interesting case study. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. So what was that horse's diagnosis? What was the cause of laminitis? Things like that. Well, you know, the interesting thing about, about this horse we were talking about in particular is that I was asked to look at this horse before I knew she was laminitic. They told me that she was uh, in need of hoof care and she had these really long toes. And when she was ridden, she would trip a lot. And so I was actually asked by the trainer to go see this mare and um, kind of just give her a, a reboot on her hoof care program. In terms of trim, there was no known problem at the time. And that was local to you? Uh, yeah, you know, within like 45 minutes. So, oh, you know, within, with, yeah, within a range that I was able to go and, and we, had a, we had a consult scheduled. And then I got a call from the trainer who said, okay, the horse is now really in trouble. She's um, being seen by the vet. They've diagnosed her with laminitis and she's crashing. Can you come sooner? Right. So it was like, I was already kind of like peripherally thinking, oh, okay, long feet, just needed kind of some, 
um, you know, new eyes on her hoof care situation. And then it went from zero to 60 that fast. Yeah. So I, I got there for her consult and was just blown away at the situation. The, the, the mare is a teenage at the time, you know, she was, if I remember correctly, she was 12 or 13 um, when I first met her and she had been left there with the house when the owner sold the house. Oh gosh. Right. Poor mare. Right. Yeah. So she had lived in this big pasture by herself. She had goat friends and you know, the owner said, well, yeah, okay, sure. We love horses. We'll, we'll take the horse and the goats and, and with the house and what have you. And they didn't know necessarily a lot about horses and they just thought, well, you know, just maintain them the way that we've been maintaining them. But, you know, they started riding her and taking lessons and doing things. And she was, she's a nice mare. She's a spotted walker. Oh, cool. Yeah. And she's actually a buckskin spotted walker. So she's pretty fancy. Like she's, she's got this, she's got this beautiful color and a beautiful face and and just a kind, kind heart. And so, you know, I get there and she is massively, morbidly obese. I mean, I could not believe how obese this poor mare was. And she was so painful that she wasn't moving. She was in about a 10 by 10 stall and she's a fairly decent size mare. She's about 16 one. Wow. And uh, yeah, so small stall for a big horse like that. And she wasn't moving because she couldn't, she was so painful. She couldn't turn around in such close quarters. Right. So it was, it was like a heartbreaking kind of situation, like just tugs at every part of you. Like, oh my gosh, I need to help this horse. Yeah. And the vet was there and we did radiographs and she was uh, extremely rotated and it was an all out 911. So I put on my, you know, proverbial superhero cape, you know, how we feel when we go into these situations where you're just like, I have things I can do to help this animal. Right. (laughs) And so we got a better trim on her, got her in some, some uh, cloud boots and we talked about the diet component, which they didn't have. So we addressed that right away. And we talked about her having more space. And that was a little difficult because, you know, it was kind of a makeshift stall in a garage. And then all they had was this huge pasture. Oh, yeah. So they were stuck. And they weren't in a position at that point that they wanted to send her to me, even though I suggested it, because it would have solved a number of the problems right away. And it's always a concern, you know, trailering an actively laminated horse. Right. But our vet here has always supported me in the idea of if the horse has to trailer to get the horse the help it needs, then you trailer the horse. So there were options, right? They could increase the stall size. They could build a a, a run out area that she could at least go out and mosey around and look out at the, you know, at her outside surroundings instead of being locked in this garage in this tiny little stall by herself or she couldn't even turn because her feet hurt too much. Yeah. And so to give them tons of credit, great owners really jumped jumped in to help and, and kind of get things going for her. They immediately, right in front of us, built like a triple stall. So it was like a, it was like a 30 by 10 area that now she could move around in deeply bedded. And that, that helped her a lot. You know, in terms of some movement, but not too much. She was able to manage turns better with the bigger space. And so that kind of 
resolved the immediate problem. They changed up the diet right away. They followed the veterinarian's instructions with testing, medication, and those kind of things. And so we continued on. And so right? you're still seeing her remotely. Like you were still going to her farm. Correct. Yep. Yeah. And I was there almost, I was one, there once a week for a while. Wow. Yeah. Because things are just changing really fast. And, you know, they, you don't know how far they're going to crash when they're that acute. Right. Yeah. Um, so we were just keeping a real close eye on her. And of course, super painful. Um, she did decide to abscess. And so she had serum, you know, coming out in her soles. So she was pretty critical. And after about six weeks of this, I really felt strongly that she wasn't going to do well at home. You know, they'd even cut a window in the garage wall so she could look outside. They had a little door they put in so the goats could kind of come and go so she'd have some company. They'd lock the mama goat in with her to try to make sure that she had somebody to hang out with. It just, she was not turning a corner. Yeah. And so we really thought that given the pain of the abscessing and her critical nature, that she'd be better here where I could keep an eye on her and not be running back and forth so much. Yeah, right. And the vets were very supportive, but, you know, what are they going to do? They look at it and say, well, you know, we need to give it time. We could try this. We could try that. We just weren't making any progress. So she came here. Yeah. And, um, you know, the difference here, she had a dry lot that she could go out in. She had friends on all sides of her. And then I could actively work on her feet, you know, every day, changing bandages, you know, clean track soak if necessary. You know, we did implement also for her a lot of PEMF. We used the Beamer on her and, and I think that did help her as well in terms of improving microcirculation, right? Yeah. Since that's a huge problem with laminated horses, plus just the wear and tear on her body and everything. And so finally we started like drying up the abscesses and healing like we were getting new, new healthy growth below the coronary band because we hadn't had any of that. So you talked about how they changed her diet at her farm from going from that farm to your house. Did the diet change any further or was it just that the management changed otherwise? Well, that's a really good question because these owners had even gone to the point of getting the same hay that we have here on the farm for her at her farm. Wow. So our, our hay is tested, of course, and we know that it fits the, you know, ECIR recommendations for ESC plus starch, for our, you know, mineral ratios. It's low in iron and the digestible energy is, is appropriate for these horses and the amount of work that they're in. So, you know, we know that our hay is very safe. And so they even went and got hay that they knew would be safe for her at our recommendation. Yeah. And so, yeah, they had gone on our exact diet. So really what changed was, you know, a little bit of self, self-managed movement, right? So I don't like to put these horses in, in paddocks with other horses because if another horse pushes them around or they feel they need to stay with the herd, they might move too much, right? So. Yeah. Solo, solo turnout at their own pace, no forced walking. And then, you know, they, she had friends all around her, you know, she had a social life. And I think for this mare in particular, that was really, really critical. She had been by herself 
for a long time. Then she was unfortunately due to circumstance, even more isolated. And then I think, I mean, I, I, ha- I don't want it to sound like a, a sales pitch or a plug, but I do think that having the ability to increase her or improve her circulation systemically with the Beamer on a daily basis was also a huge component. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I, I had a client that, or a friend that gave me one and I think it was super helpful with the, the, horse that I had here that was foundered was past the acute stage. And so then it was yeah. just a matter of growing out a healthier foot. But yeah. he, at first I just used the Beamer cause he seemed like he really enjoyed it, but I feel like his yeah. whole body sort of like unraveled in terms of, um, like that in a good way. And- yeah. In a good way. Yeah. Not like unraveled in a bad way. In- unraveled yeah. all that tension. He just seemed like yeah. he started, you know, standing more comfortably moving more. So yeah, I do think yeah. it's, it's super helpful. Yeah. And, and honestly, I truly believe that one of the biggest differences that helped her was our ability to, to beamer her every day, multiple times during a day. Yeah. You know, just even to get the foot growth going. Right. Right. Can't heal anything if we don't have foot growth. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's really hard to, to, you know, work on something that isn't being produced. Yeah. So yeah, cool. So, you know, so in all of that, we finally had then turned a corner to somewhere that I felt like she was more stable and we could start looking at the future, you know, longer term goals of maintenance management. Right. Right. So, you know, while she was here, so one of the biggest benefits of horses coming to a facility for rehab is that while the horses are here getting the care they need, they're rehab furthered along in a very diligent, meticulous way the owners are working on their plan and their facility for when the horse comes home. Right. So they have time. They're not panicked. They can implement things in an organized manner. They have time to do research because the critical need of their animal is being taken care of. Yeah, exactly. A special thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Cavallo. For our humble hoof listeners, they are offering 20% off their Cavallo Trek hoof boots using the coupon code HRN at checkout. The Trek is the world's most popular and versatile hoof boot and Cavallo's toughest trail boot, while also doubling as an option for therapy or rehab. The front closure system makes it easily adaptable to various hoof shapes, and the TPU upper design allows for maximum strength while minimizing weight for the comfort and ease of movement for your horse. These are recommended by vets and trainers and also loved as transport boots by barrel racers, ship jumpers, dressage riders, and everyone in between. Again, for 20% off a pair of treks, use the code HRN at checkout at cavallo-inc.com. So they put in a dry lot for her. And, you know, I tried to talk them about a track system at the time because they certainly had the property to do it but it was more than they felt like they could manage. Like it was just intimidating idea to them. And so they put in a dry lot, they brought her home and she had this nice, it was probably 20 by 60 dry lot that looked out into the pasture, her stall um, in her big stall in the garage would, would open so she could go in and out of her stall and be out there and the goats could come and go. And the next time I went to see her, I was heartbroken because she was incredibly depressed. Oh. And how long was that since you had since she had gone home? Uh probably if I remember correctly at the time, it was like her normal 
cycle. So it's probably three weeks later. Cause I, I don't like to do their feet like the day before they go home. Right. So yeah. we would have done her feet and then she would have been here for a week or 10 days and then they would have taken her home. And then I would have gone to see her like at a normal four week cycle, five week cycle. So it would have been probably three weeks after she got there. Yeah. At the most. So it's pretty quick. Right. So we went to see her. We gave her lots of attention and love. And it wasn't that her family wasn't giving her attention and love, but she didn't have any other horses. Right. And the dry lot was not overly huge. And it was kind of, you know, boring. Dry lots are boring, right? Yeah. The paddock are. is, it's not, it's not engaging or stimulating or anything. And then the goats were able to leave her. So they'd go out in the field and she'd watch them go. Yeah. So we did her feet that visit and then one more visit and then she decided she had had enough and she broke out of her dry lot overnight. Oh no. Yeah. And she was out in the grass all night or at least, you know, from sometime after 10 PM on to morning because that was when they did their night check. And of course she became extremely laminitic again and rotated again and abscessed again. Yeah. And that was just, you know, it's so unfortunate when that happens because horses are horses and no matter how much you try to chain the gate or put in a secure fence or whatever you're going to do, she was just like, I've had it. I'm going out. And she actually managed to pop the gate off the hinges and go out for a walkabout. Yeah. So she's just desperate. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so... The owner at that point, as you can imagine, was beside herself. She was a mess. She's like, I can't maintain her. I can't help her. I'm going to always worry about her getting out. I can't go through this again. I mean, this is such an emotional roller coaster for anyone involved. And these poor people, they had done everything that they could do. I mean, they were were really putting in 100% effort. And it just wasn't working. Right. So she came back here. And the owner asked me if I would take her into my herd. And we do maintain a, a teaching herd here uh, for, you know, health care providers or uh, those aspiring to be health care providers to come and learn and um, work on together. And she's a really nice mare and she stands really well for her feet. And I already helped her recover once. So I thought, you know... I can probably help her and she can have a job here. And even if she's never rideable and even if she's, you know, uh, limited in what she can do, as long as she's happy and she has friends and she has, you know, a purpose, right? So I do think that um, they like to have a purpose, whether that's part of the herd or whether that's engagement in some, some role or activity, right? Yeah. She, she, um, I said, okay, I, I think we can, I think we can help with this because her only other option was she was going to put her down. Right. And, and she was painful enough and she had had more damage in her feet that I don't think myself nor the vet would have begrudged her for doing that. Like we would not have thought badly if she had made that choice. It was yeah. that bad. Yeah. So then, you know, so again, the diet's been consistent. We've been doing routine blood work. The blood work is, is staying, staying consistent in terms of her metabolic condition is controlled, but you know, the horse gets tick-borne disease. The horse gets out and eats 
grass all night long, when it's being very insulin sensitive, you know, the horse has a stressful accident. There are things we can't control. Right. And I think the the message that comes from, you know, ECIR is so fantastic of, you know, laminitis is a disease of prevention, right? Right. For the most part, you know, we're talking about metabolic laminitis. Yeah. And so, so we can micromanage so many of these things, you know, the the diet, the movement, the hoof care, you know, the, the monitoring them systemically with the veterinarian, you know, taking radiographs, right? But there are things that are going to happen we just can't control. Yeah. And so the tighter you have things when those things happen, the better chance the horse has of, of getting through a bump in the road, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So I was hopeful that even though should have had this bump and it was a big one. I was hopeful that I could help her heal again. And maybe because of our setup here, we could then maintain her comfort and health going forward. Right. So, so I took her here, uh, you know, I'm a glutton for these things. <laughs> the owner did, did set up an endowment for her. Oh, um, so nice. yeah. So, you know, she's taken care of and safe and what have you. But on the other hand, she's done incredibly well. She's, she's lived here now for two years and she is not only a hundred percent sound, but we ride her. That's so great. She's such a cool mare and she is the social butterfly. She greets all the new horses. She is kind and inclusive and welcoming of any person, any horse. She travels constantly around the farm because now we have our track system. And that was really the last piece of the puzzle that made the biggest difference for Kyra. She, um, we put in our track system and the change in this mare from being managed metabolically, always worrying about her body condition, always, you know, just, you know, season changes, worrying about her hormones, all those things. When we put the track in, it, completely shifted the level of concern we needed to have for a horse like her because she's moving constantly. Yeah. And I think I just like assumed this, this whole conversation that her laminitic issues were all insulin level related. So she doesn't have, uh, she doesn't have PPID or or ACTH issues. Uh, She does. Oh, okay. So it's both. Yeah. Yes. It's both. Yep. It's both. And I, you know, I really believe though that the, the PPID for her is absolutely secondary. Yeah. You know, and also stress related, right? Right. Like imagine if you're lonely all the time and you don't get that much movement and your feet hurt and you're, you're pining for company. The, the mental emotional component to me often gets sort of overlooked a little bit. Right. Compared to the physical. we've, We've had horses come here that, were called metabolic in their laminitis and yet had an ideal body condition, if not on the lean side and not from stress, but they had never really been obese and they have, you know, these chronic issues and then things that go with it, like they have to be hobbled to trailer because they go crazy in the trailer or they go to a new place, like to a show and nobody wants to walk this horse because they're completely unhandleable. 
Oh gosh. Yeah. Right. And then you get them under saddle and you hop on their back and they, they know their job and they chill out and they go perform, but their level of stress is incredible. And then they come here and there's no stress here. There's no agenda. There's no horses being taken in and out and tacked up and shown or, you know, stress or pressure of anything. And they just turn around. Yeah. And you, and you have to wonder like, were they really metabolic or was it more just stress hormones and circumstance? Because guess what? When I trailer those horses, I don't hobble them. You know, right. of course not. You know, we don't do that. If you're that stressed, we just don't go. Right. Right. Or we build, we build your confidence. What have you. And we lead them around. We take them places and they're, they're calm as a cucumber and easy to handle. Yeah. There has to be some of that, you know, social, emotional, mental kind of stress that plays a part for some of these horses, right? Right. And I do think like having that social aspect like you're talking about, but also having like not having to worry about like when is their food coming and, and you know, just being able to know what to expect every day and feel comfortable in their environment with the other horses and with their handlers. I feel like it makes a huge difference on just their, not only that just their mental state, but their physical comfort. Yes, absolutely. Horses doing horse things. Right. Right. So, you know, yes, they're grazing animals. They'd normally be out there grazing just to keep up their caloric content to exist every day. Right. And then, you know, in domestication, our horses often go long periods of time, especially these metabolic horses, without hay or anything to eat in front of them. Yeah. Right. And that's extremely stressful. So, the, the, the icing on the cake of Kyra's story is the addition of the track that we did in the last, uh, just over a year. We started our track last June, last May or June. And I've, I'd hesitated for years putting one up because we have small acreage and I didn't want them to be in mud. Yeah. And I wasn't sure how to manage that. Cause I'm like, well, they can't have grass, but I don't want them to walk around in mud all the time either. That's right. not good for their feet. Right. Right. So I started observing tracks that my clients had put in and realized that I was making it way too complicated, like way too complicated. Like, you know, I wanted it to all be perfect. And in reality, it just needed to exist and, and let them move and it would evolve in the way that it needed to evolve. Right. Like just do it. Yeah. And I think that's true. Like even with our track system, like we're, it's, we're changing it like every X amount yeah. of weeks, you know, it's just, we're like figuring out where things are, you know, where it does get a little more wet on the track and we put down something on, you know, surfacing on yes. there or whatever. And it's just something that instantly, the second we put it in, horses were moving more. And then yes. that's automatically helping uh, for, I noticed it automatically helped their like mental state, their physical state, but then I can improve. You can always improve on it as you go. Exactly. It evolves. Yeah. Right. Con- right. Continuous evolving process of it's actually, I love it. It's really fun. I know you do too. Yeah. The, just being able to make different obstacles for them or create different challenges and watching them mentally work through it. Right. Um, they play. I mean, our horses play. I've never seen them play this much. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, Kyra, she, she is the social butterfly. So she travels all over the track, checking in on everybody, you know, the water and the hay are at opposite ends. So five or six times a day, you'll see her not, not moseying up to the water. She gallops to the water. Yeah. Which is so right? great. Oh my gosh. And then she gallops up there and then she checks out everybody, checks in 
And we do have some horses here that are in rehab that still need their small paddocks because not everyone's ready to be out on the big track or with the other horses. Yeah. So she comes up and she checks in with them. Oh, that's so and sweet. I know. I know. She comes up and she she um, goes to the, you know, the track borders, the paddocks. And so those horses get social activity and can watch the horses moving and, and, you know, be part of those things. And, you know, she's, she's, her body condition is ideal. It's so perfect. She maintains it on her own. She has uh, hay in front of her 24 seven in a slow feed hay net. That's, you know, in a, in a shelter. So it doesn't get wet, but she can go in and get hay when she wants. And they go and they eat and then they leave it and they go do things and they come back and, they sell, they're self-regulating. I never thought that was going to be really possible. Really. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And all of the horses here, regardless of their metabolic status, you know, the, the geriatrics that are not metabolic at all and they're, you know, really hard keepers, you know, they self-regulate their weight in this kind of system. And, you know, our little fat foundry ponies, we have a pony herd of nine mini ponies and it's Aww. the joy of my life. It's so awesome. And they all self-regulate. And they all have access to hay constantly. And none of them are obese. None of them. Yeah, that's so great. I wanted to give a shout out to Grid As New Mud Control Grids. Where mud is a problem, mud control grids are a game changer. They instantly stop mud with little to no ground prep whatsoever. And they are perfect for anywhere that gets maybe just a little muddy or places where you're sinking in above your fetlocks. A turnout, around a feeding station, a water tub, your track system, or just a walkway, these grids make an instant huge difference in land and mud management. They're environmentally friendly all around, they're made from 100% recycled plastic, and they're recyclable, with a 20-year manufacturer's guarantee. They have over 21 million square feet installed over the past 20 years. Han Mud Control Grids and other products are now readily available in New Hampshire, Vermont, and Massachusetts only through Grid As New, mudcontrolgrids.com. We know that you'll love them as much as we do. So again, check out mudcontrolgrids.com. And so do you have, this is just like a personal question, but do you have separate, do you have your minis or ponies with your larger horses or is it a separate track? We, we actually do except they're all together except for feeding time. Okay. Yeah. So during feeding time, the big horses, you know, they just get a little rough with the little guys and, you know, we separate, uh, we have a little, we have a pony track and then we also have then the main track and we have a secondary track. So we have three track systems completely separated and we often open them and connect them. Oh, cool. And yeah. And so the ponies have their own track and then during the day when the weather's good and you know, everybody's behaving themselves. We do let them all together and they move a lot more because of that. Right. I agree. Yeah. I feel like the mixing more horses, the, the more they herd. move. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then mixing the herds a little, you know, so there's new social dynamic and there's new, like, you know, introducing each other and doing horse things and squealing and, you know, sniffing each other and doing all the things they're supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So super fun to have the little ponies in with the big horses because you better believe the littlest one is the one who's in charge. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, she's, and she's literally knee high and about 250 pounds. Oh my goodness. So yeah, she's tiny and she is in charge of everyone. That's so sweet. Yeah, it's great. That's awesome. And how many are yours that you own and how many, is it like, like what percentage of them are, are, are permanently there? Yeah. So, um, I have, my core 
teaching herd um, is 13 horses. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. But, you know, they all have different things. And depending on who's here to learn and study, you know, with our school, they, you know, we want to have horses that are appropriate. So some of them are, you know, horses that have ideal feet that get really, really, um, you know, good maintenance trims, nothing too complicated. And then we have all different pathologies from angular limb deformities to uh, chronically laminated horses and, and so on. Some are in shoes and some are barefoot. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And then we have kind of a rotating lineup of borders. We do have some permanent borders that live here forever. And they're horses I use for demos for teaching. Uh, students don't work on them, but they're part of our permanent herd. So there's another four of them. And then, um, and then we have, you know, six to eight horses that come in at any given time for rehab. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And we all do this all on, believe it or not, a little less than five acres. Yeah. I mean, I feel like track systems are ideal for, for an area that might not be able to handle all that amount of horses on a pasture. Like the track system's ideal because you don't have to worry about grass. You're not worrying about like overgrazing oh, or yes. trying to like sustain the grass. I mean, that's, I feel like that's what they're made for is like keeping horses on maybe a little bit smaller land, you know? Well, if you had told me that I could keep 25 horses here on my farm, I would have told you you were nuts. (laughs) Right. Before the track. I mean, really, because, you know, they're on top of each other. They're not moving enough. And while we keep everything really clean and really well managed in terms of, you know, there isn't manure piling up. We compost our manure we have a, you know, a water management plan, you know, all of these kinds of things. It still just opened up the entire range of possibilities and enrichment for the horses with the tracks. Yeah, absolutely. It changed, it changed everything. I mean, you know, granted, we're still doing the same things. It's just so much easier and so much more successful. And I like kicked myself that I didn't do it sooner, you know? <laughs> well, I feel like it, it does seem overwhelming at first, you know, when you think about it, cause it's like a lot, you know, you think, oh my goodness, it's going to be like so much fencing and it's, but it's not, I feel like it's so much yeah. easier when they're out on the track because for at least what I've seen, like the horses are so much more relaxed and everything just yeah. feels so much less stressful. Yeah. So yeah, yes. I think it's, it's and a our, huge benefit. And our barefoot horses also, they only end up needing trimmed like once every eight to 12 weeks. Yeah. Because we have enough varied footing on the track between, you know, clean wood chips and some, uh, you know, grit footing and other things that rocks and logs and things like that. They self trim really well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So a lot of benefits, like, like the rest of the work is a lot easier. Now we do pick the track. Yes. You know, we have, we have to go around, you know, and pick up the manure, but you know, you'd be picking up the manure if it was in, in smaller paddocks anyway. Right. right? So that, that didn't change. But other than that, I mean, everything has just gotten so much better. And so for horses like Kyra, and I think this is one of the reasons that I wanted to mention her to you for our talk today is because she was a horse that was really struggling on a lot of levels with different types of managed care. Like we could have all the details in place. The hoof care was taken care of. She was off the grass. The diet was tight. The the veterinary um, interventions were appropriate and working well. You know, we had, we had realigned her hoof capsules. She had grown in a tight white line. I mean, she was really on the right track. And then one hiccup, one oops, 
because she was only probably barely metabolically controlled when she was in her small paddock, right? Right. And the, the key component of this was not just the movement, but also the social, mental, emotional peace, right? Like she, she felt like she was part of a herd and she can now engage and let go of all that stress and tension of being alone. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm an objective person. I like to do things based on science and, you know, as much research oriented as we can with, with hooves and things like that. Cause it's, it's difficult cause we don't have enough available. However, there's absolutely that kind of woo woo energetic component that really affects these horses when they struggle this much. Right. Well, we know that stress isn't good on any body, like human animal. Right. It's, it's just not going to be conducive to getting them healthy if they're stressed all the time. So right. giving them the, the most relaxing environment in a way that they can live species appropriate, I think is just only going to help them. Oh yeah. That's a really, that's a really good word. Cause we used to say natural, right? Right. When you said species appropriate, right. cause there's nothing, there's nothing natural about domestication. So the idea of treating them like how they would live in nature always kind of it didn't resonate with me because I, I'm like, you know, they're domesticated animals. How can we expect them to thrive the way they would in nature when we impose all these other things on them? Yeah. For me, it's a stewardship idea. It's like we need to be mindful of the impact we're having and exceed exceed what nature might, might provide them, right? So, so the idea of species-specific, that to me feels like a much more user-friendly word because it is very species specific for them to eat all day long. It's very species specific for them to have a herd dynamic where they have social engagement, they can have fights, they can have dominance games and, you know, all those sorts of things. Right. And, and if they don't have that, then there's something missing. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, you know, it's really fun to talk to you about this. Cause I know you and I have been on a similar journey with these things from different directions for a while and right. I think we've both ended up in a very similar place, which is really cool. Yeah, no, it's so cool. And I love hearing more about like other people that have track systems and hearing how you do it because every track is going to be different and all of them are going to be, you know, unique, but also really great. Like, I think that there's no wrong way to do it. And so, um, I mean, I would love, I haven't even seen yours yet. So I'd love to go out and see yours sometime because I just love like seeing, getting ideas and how I can improve mine by looking at others. So it's so yes. cool. Yes, it's it's inspirational when we can go and and learn what's working for everyone, and then come back and kind of look at our situation and think, oh, how can we make this better? Right? Like right. it's great now, but how could it be better? Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. It's just it's so cool, and it becomes addictive. Like it becomes <laughs> really. I, yes. I just think it's so fun to be able to try to um, think of new ways to have enrichment on the track and and ways to improve it. So. It becomes yes. a little bit of like a, a cool little community of people um, and just, yeah. yeah. Trading ideas, right? Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, if anybody has any questions about this kind of management, I know they can reach out to you and I'll include your contact information and everything. And you're based out of Pennsylvania and you're, okay, I'm trying to remember this, um, in, in like an hour west of Philadelphia. Is that a route? Yeah. 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 We're, we're um, towards Lancaster. And we're actually very close to New Bolton Center. So if you know that area, that's kind of the general area we are, Chester County, Pennsylvania. 
and I'm always happy to set up, you know, tours or have people come out and see what we're doing or come learn and work on feet with us. I mean, we have a good time. So uh, always have an open door for anyone who wants to explore ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that you have your courses online and you also have courses in person. And I mean, I've been to ones in person and it's just been so amazing. Like the people that come to your property to learn are just really interested and engaged. And it's great to have those conversations learning from other people there. So I would encourage anybody to go there because it's so, it's just been a great experience when I went. So yeah. Yeah. Thanks Alicia. We enjoyed having you here as well. And you're right. We do get a fairly evolved culture of hoof and horse lovers that come here and always happy to just, you know, we're all here to help the horse, right? So share, share brains for a little while. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Awesome. Well, I mean, I think that's like the main bulk of the questions that I had. I don't know if there's anything else that you want to go over that I might've missed. I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think that, you know, Kyra's story has always inspired me for a lot of the horses I work on because she had an inordinate amount of challenges and most people would have probably written her off well before, um, you know, we got too far down this path and yet look at what's possible. And then we see that with horse after horse after horse. And the biggest complaint I get from the veterinarians I work with is they all acknowledge the horses do incredibly well when they're here. And they say to me, they say, it's just really difficult for the owners to recreate that when the horses go home. Yeah. And so my hope with all this and doing things like this with you and, and teaching and sharing and promoting these kinds of, of management situations is that more people are going to have access to them for their horses. More people will put them in or ask for them at their boarding barns. And we're going to shift the paradigm of how our horses are managed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think getting the word out there is only going to be good, you know? Yeah. Open people's ideas. Like it took me, you know, 18 years to just dive in and put this track in. And I wish that, you know, I just had put together the pieces sooner. I tried to do this years ago, actually. I tried to do this about 10 years ago and uh, got so intimidated by the amount of footing that I thought I needed to put in that I'm like, I can't afford to do this. This doesn't make sense. And I was just making it overly complicated. Yeah. You know, and I think we have better information now. So that helps too. Right. You know, more, more examples, more people being creative, uh, more people building track systems on small budgets or being, you know, being uh, resourceful with materials to do it in a safe way. And that, that helps. Yeah. And I think too, just that idea of like, just try it, you know, just like, you don't have to be perfect all at once. It doesn't have to be, you know, the perfect track and it's always going to evolve and just like kind of get started and see where it goes. I think that's, that's, that's more of what I've been hearing over the last year as people are starting to do this. It's like, you know what, sometimes you just got to jump right in and then it's going to change and that's okay. You know? Exactly. 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 Yeah. Just, I think that's the takeaway message here is just do it. Just jump in, (laughs) start somewhere, study, talk to people, learn, go see tracks at different places and, and then, and then put something in and see how the horses respond. They'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Right. Yeah. Alicia, thank you so much for asking me to come on to your awesome podcast and chat today. I always enjoy it. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a pleasure to be able to talk about these things to help others. 
Yeah. Thank you so much for, you know, being willing to be on it again. And I know that you're super busy and I really appreciate you giving me, you know, this time of yours that I know is so precious, <laughs> but uh, I really appreciate it. I think this is going to be really great for, for people to listen to. Awesome. Yes. I always enjoy it. Thanks so much, Alicia. And I'll be in touch about visiting. Perfect. All right. Well, have a great rest of your weekend. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Don't, don't work too hard. Oh yeah, you too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. See ya. Bye. Bye. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person. And chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too. So we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.